you can uh, take some of the base off this, sharpen it a bit, and can you give me slightly more volume? It's wonderful to be with you this morning. I mean, we're going to stay in a flow. It's not like I'm going to preach anything now. I just want to share some stuff from my heart. It's interesting what he read. My Bible is open, Exodus 34. I woke up this morning, and I felt the Lord wanted me to uh, speak on his nature, his beautiful nature. It's interesting when, um, when Adam and Eve fell. I, I like to, to, to almost say it this way, that eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was really the fruit of the original sin. The original sin was believing the lie about their father. And when that lie took hold of their hearts, that he is withholding good. He's not really that good, Adam. And that lie climbed into humanity like a virus. And when they sinned, they got disconnected from the knowledge of the Lord, they lost the presence of the Lord. They who were sons became orphans. You all know that. And now an interesting thing. We now for the first time see how the fallen mind views God. For the first time we now see how the mind, the heart that's been disconnected from the knowledge of the Lord, from the presence of the Lord, from the intimate connection. We now have a glimpse into the first glimpse of fallen man to God. And what does Adam do? So the opposite of what he used to do. Adam used to walk with him. Now Adam is hiding. Adam is now protecting himself and providing for himself because the lie that his creator is not sufficient enough. That maybe this good God is not so good after all. See how his view has shifted. Couldn't see God for who he truly was. And that's what Jesus came to do in the earth, right? Is to redeem the image of his father. I love the story of the prodigal son. It's one of those, it's one of those um, right hooks onto the chin of religious thinking. Sitting and he's, he's uh, speaking to Pharisees, Sadducees, and all the religious kind and others as well. He's like, you've got him wrong. Let me tell you, he's a father that runs to 
towards broken sons. You see, for that prodigal son coming back home, you know what was waiting for him? He, was, he lost everything in a foreign land, lost his whole inheritance. I mean, what shame has he brought to his family? The book of Leviticus, it says clearly what should happen to a rebellious son. A rebellious son should be stoned at the city gates. Why? Because that's how they purged evil from the community. That son knew. But there was nothing left. So he sat in that big den, making a little plan, and the best plan he could come up with is maybe if I go back to my father's house and I gave him the option of, I know I can't be son. I can be a servant in your house, a slave. At least I'll have something to eat. And if he's really kind and generous, I might slip through the cracks and miss the stoning at the gates. But I have no other option. And the son goes back. You know the story so well. Because you see, in, in the Pharisee's mind, justice was the thing. But mercy triumphed over justice. Because the father ran and he interrupted the justice due to this rebellion boy of his. He ran. And as if that is not scandalous enough, instead of this father just running when he should be disciplining. Oh, Jesus goes a step further. He doesn't only run, he embraces and he kisses and he holds him. And then the son starts his speech. Have you read the story? He's now rehearsed that speech all the way from the foreign land. And the son goes into, you know, almost like he goes into that mode. And he's like, Father, I am unworthy to be your son. He starts with it. And then you will read in the story, the father turns quickly to a servant. And he says to his servant, quickly run. And go get a robe and a ring and sandals. You know why he did that? Before the boy could misidentify himself as a slave in his father's house, the father wanted to restore him fully back into sonship. Before you misidentify who you are to me, go get a robe. Go get a ring. Go get the sandals. That's the father. Right? I don't know why I'm on that the nature of God. I always say to people, have, have, have you noticed, I, I don't know, you know, if, if you read your Bible, if you come across any passage like that, please get my number and message me. But you know what I have not seen in Scripture, especially when it comes to you know, the worship before the throne of God. Have you ever noticed that they call the, the angels aside at times? They say, hey, guys, I see your passion is quenched slightly. You're not worshiping the way you used to worship like 10,000 years ago. 
I, I don't see you guys bowing enough anymore. Hey, uh, you're not lifting your hands enough. I don't know if they have hands, but I'm just using that as an analogy. You know, like, yes, see, we need to fire up the worship again. So let's go through some scripture passages to get you passionate and extravagant again when it comes to your worship before the throne. Have you ever read of something like that? It's obscure. It's not there. Why not? They don't need the scripture. Why? Because they see it. They don't need to get an encouragement from the side. Hey, worship more extravagantly. No, why? Because they see it. They see it. You see, here's the thing. Our worship is in direct correlation with our revelation of His worth, His beauty, and His majesty. You worship to the extent that that revelation's got its fingers in your heart. When you see Him, you worship. You were made to gaze upon. You were made to look upon His majesty and His beauty. You don't need a worship school. You just need eyes that can see Him. And that's why I went this morning. I mean, I went this morning to, I actually felt like the Lord wanted me to speak out of Psalm 145. You know, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, uh, 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 rich in love, abounding in steadfast love. And that's, that's, oh, that's, where, that's where I wanted to jump, right, in Exodus. Now Moses is like, God, I want to see you. Show me your face. And then he goes to Moses, buddy, I can't show you my face. You'll die. But I will show you my glory. Incredible. And so this is God revealing His glory. He let all His goodness pass before Moses. And as He passed before Moses, He spoke and He said, I am the Lord of the Lord. Listen to this. Now God is revealing once again to humanity. It's interesting. Of all the things he could choose to say in that moment, I am merciful and gracious. I am slow to anger and I'm rich in love. That's what he, this is who I am. I am full of mercy. Who is a God like you, Michael? Who is a God like you that delights in showing mercy? It brings you joy on the inside when you're kind. You love to be kind. David would say in one of the Psalms, Oh God, if you should mark iniquity, who will stand before you? No man, but with you there is forgiveness. The steadfast love of the Lord 
never ceases. His mercies never comes to an end. Lamentations come. They are new every morning. New. And how this beautiful God longs to reveal himself to his beautiful people. You see, our great gospel starts with a really great message. For God so loved. And John catches on to that revelation. He says, you love only because you were loved. I love that. Isaiah 46, love that. God speaks to, to, to Judah. And he says to him, listen to this. He says, I held you before you were born. I held you before you were born. And I'll be the one still holding you. When you're gray and old and your strength is weak. The beauty of God. You see, John had this incredible, uh, I heard a a guy once said it and it's like, it's true, you know. Uh, John had a good quiet time. Because the one moment he was contemplating the Lord and the next moment he heard a voice saying, hey John, come up here. Can you imagine your quiet time being that? And the next moment you stand before a throne, a physical throne. For those who've wondered whether it's a symbolic one, there is a physical throne. And there's one on it, seated, enthroned. John sees a throne. But now John doesn't have words to say what he sees. So the best John can do is he describes him, the one seated on the throne, and he says, he had the appearance of Jasper, of Carnelian. And surrounding him is this emerald green-like rainbow. And you know what the emerald speaks of? It speaks of the tender mercies of God. He keeps his covenant wrapped in tender mercies. His mercies are new every morning. Right? It's just the best John can do. Is like, I don't know how to explain what I'm seeing. It's like this green. It's, I don't know. It's the, he is surrounded by his tender mercies. His covenant are held together by his tender mercies. This beautiful God. We sang earlier, and I'll come to a close now. I'm almost, because I can't go into what I prepared. It's too long. (laughs) But uh, we sang, your goodness is running after me. And I remember when we used to sing that song at the first, I was thinking, this this sounds not right. We're singing about His faithfulness, and now the next moment, I'm in the center of the story, and I'm singing about a God who's good, who's chasing me down from behind. It's just didn't make sense until I truly understood Psalm 23. The tender mercies of God, the chesed, the Hebrew word. 
So David, Psalm 23, right at the end. Who, how many of you love Psalm 23? I mean, the most beautiful psalm. And David says, goodness and mercy follows me all the days of your life. So by the way, just a freebie. If you are in a valley, you're on your way to a table. If you are in a valley, you're on a, your way to a table. That's for someone here. So David says, goodness, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Have you read that before? It, 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 you have the picture of a little puppy following you, right? So you walk, and then you turn around, and you see goodness and mercy is still there. And then you walk, and you see goodness and mercy is still there. That's not what that Hebrew word means. Follow there means to chase down and to overtake. David is not saying goodness and mercy just lingers kind of close to me. No, no, David is saying it's like a predator chasing down his prey. That's how the goodness of my father is coming for me. That's the revelation there. It's chasing me down. And another psalm, David would say, his loving kindness is ever before me. It's the same word. David is saying, no matter which path I took in my life, whether it was the path of rebellion, disobedience, obedience, whether it was just simply me doing things out of ignorance, no matter which path I found myself on, it led to tender mercies waiting for me. He's before me, and he's chasing me down from behind. Your goodness. The revelation of and each one of you sitting here is, the, is a testimony of that. You were caught. You were caught. So John stands before this God, tender mercy surrounding him. John says he's like Jasper. Jasper is, was in ancient times a diamond-like stone. He's saying this God is transcendent majesty. He is unapproachable light. This God is glory. This God is majestic. This God is exalted. This God sits fearful in praises. This God is all-powerful. This God has all dominion and authority. He is the glorious God, the unsearchable one. And then John goes slightly further. He says, but in the heart of this Jasper God, his heart is carnelian, a blood red stone. In the heart of this unapproachable light, in the heart of this majestic splendor, in the heart of this all-powerful, almighty God is a blood-red heart. He's tender. He's kind. He's full of mercy. He's gentle. He's compassionate. I don't know how this works. I'm, a, I'm afraid of him, but I want to be with him. Oh, he's good. He shines brilliantly, but he's tender on the inside. 
Isn't that beautiful? You see, that's the gaze of the angels when they bow and sing, holy, worthy, beautiful, glorious, shining forth from His glory. This beautiful God, this tender, gracious, compassionate. I was reading the book of Isaiah yesterday. How many of you have read the book of Isaiah? It's this picture, calls a prophet and says, hey, go marry a prostitute. Because that's how I feel in my heart. I am married to a people that's unfaithful. I am married to a people. Can I read that to you? I want to read something. It's beautiful. You will be, you'll be blessed by this. And then I'm closing. It's Isaiah 11. And I want to listen to the nature of God. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. How's that? The more I called for them, the more they ran away. They kept sacrificing to balls and burnt offerings to idols. When Israel was young, I loved him. I kept calling him to come. But he didn't. He gave his heart to others. Listen now, verse 3. Yet, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. You know, we read that and we can get very theological and doctrinal about this thing. How many of you have had children? You take your little baby on their arms and you, you know, like, and then you see the first step. But that's it. That's the picture, right? I, I, was, I was bent over, keeping you up on your hands, teaching you to walk. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms. But they did not know that I healed them. I led them. Listen to this. I led them. Even in their rebelliousness. I led them with cords of kindness. With bands of love. And I became to them as one who eased the yoke on their jaws. And I bend down to them, and I fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. This is not punishment. This is the Lord saying, this is because you didn't come to me. My heart is broken. You will now be led by a wicked king, because you refused to come. I called you. Now the consequence of your rebellion is a wicked king. An unrighteous ruler will once again stand over you. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume their bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsel. My people are bent on returning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, He shall not raise them up at all. Listen to this. Now, 
Listen to his heart. Verse 8. Now the Lord speaks again. But how can I give you up? How can I give you up? I've loved you since you were young. How can I give you up? How can I hand you over? My heart recoils within me. Listen to this. And my compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God, his God, not a man. The Holy One in your midst. And I will not come to you with wrath. How's that? I mean, like, you were young. I loved you. You were mine. You were born of me. But you, you turned. Your bent is to go away from me. You love others. You sacrifice to other idols. You, you worship the balls. But how can I give you up? How can I hand you over when I was the one that taught you to walk when you were young? The beauty of this God. How when you look at Him, can you not love Him extravagantly, wildly, and passionately? How can your devotions flame be small and weak when you see that burning, violent love in his heart. And there's something as dangerous as bad theology or sin. It's eyes that have become familiar with the one they worship. Hearts that are bored with this beautiful God. It's the most vicious virus of them all. <laughs> because you see, if you lose your holy obsession with Him, you lose wonder and awe. When you lose wonder and awe, you slip into robotic Christianity. You just go through the motions. When you go through the motions, right, you slip into compromise. When you slip into compromise, you slip into sin. When you slip into sin, you're on your way to death. Eyes that's lost their sparkle. You don't need the right songs to get you to worship. Or the right volume. Or the best worship leader. You just need to have a heart whose gaze is locked on him. And you won't need anyone to say to you, let's sing again. Praise will pour out of your perfume jar. Like Mary, when she saw him inclined at the table. How many of you love that story with Mary poured out at his feet? You know what, what's missing in this story? No one joins her. Have you noticed that? I mean, 
if you think about it, they were in Simon the leper. I mean, that man had leprosy a couple of weeks ago. Lazarus was there. He was dead a couple of weeks ago in his tomb. And none joins in. None falls. They just point fingers. Familiarity. Comfort is a cancer. May you have fresh eyes on the most beautiful one that your heart may wake up on the inside of it. I remember a story, and I'm closing with this, Mike, and then we'll minister to one or two. Is that okay? Is that okay? He's handsome today with this mustard shirt of his, isn't he? I liked it. I thought, like, yeah, stylish. Um, I remember um, years ago we ministered in Gauteng. I just remember, it's a story I've told many times, but we ministered in Gauteng in this small little church. It was midwinter in the fall. I mean, it gets so cold there. I remember that specific morning, I couldn't, I didn't feel my feet. They met in a barn. It was so cold, I couldn't play my guitar. My hands just didn't, I couldn't get the strings to play. It was that cold. That's what I remember. And, uh, and Gerrit, the, the pastor who led the church, he's a, he was a full of fire kind of guy, you know. And, and how they started every Sunday meeting, they started this way. He would come to the mic and says, is there anyone here that can tell us a story of the goodness of God this week? Anyone? And uh, this particular morning, uh, an old lady stood up at the back. Coats like this, and she takes the mic to her and he says, Tell us what did God do today, T, uh, this week? And, and uh, I didn't know her, but the congregation knew her, and the congregation, and she said, Well, for those who don't know me, I have nothing. I, I don't, I, I lost everything. I lost my house, my car, my family. I actually don't have clothes. What I own, I have on. I put on everything this morning. But what the church did, the church put her, for time being, in a, um, a little flat. And, um, and then they organized it each night. She had one meal a day. It was soup. They organized because uh, everyone in the congregation would take a bowl of soup each night, you know. And, and so she said it was Thursday night, this past Thursday. I was sitting eating my soup. And then suddenly I smelled barbecue coming through my window. And you know... I'm like, I, I love barbecuing. So, think not on a choppy. Think you eat the whole winter soup. And the following moment, reik you a Or a choppy. Can you imagine? She, she says, I'm eating this soup and I'm smelling the, the bright flesh coming through my window. And I had this little moment, this awkward moment with the Lord. And I said, Lord, I have not tasted meat in such a long time. I would love some steak. That would be amazing. And she said, well, that night she didn't get steak. But the next morning early, there was a knock on the door. Went to the door, opened. It was the neighbor. The neighbor stood there with a container with a steak inside. He said, you know, we did a barbecue last night. 
And this morning, when I opened the fridge, I saw we missed the steak. And as I looked at it, I felt the Lord saying to me, I should come prepare it for you. And she looked at us as she said, and he came in and he cooked a steak. She said, Friday morning, I had meat. And it was amazing. She said, I just want to say thank you. This great God, this Father who sees. This Father who's kind. Thank you. And I couldn't say anything. Because what do you say after a story like that? But I knew one thing. You didn't have to tell her to sing. You didn't have to tell her to be extravagant with her love, with her words, with her perfume, with her, with her praise. You didn't have to say anything to her that morning. It just poured from her. A heart that's been touched by the beauty of God. And this morning I know he wants to come and wake up hearts to his majesty and his kindness. Are you guys still okay? I felt in my heart, um, I felt the Lord wanted it to be a tender morning. Not a shouting, tender morning. I feel he wants to do a deep work in you. Is that Okay. Don't fall asleep on me. I want to minister to one or two people. Can I do that? Can you speak a little This is my Froki. This is my good friend Andrea and Delia. And this is my kinderkies. I don't know if you one Here is Luca. He is a young one. He is one who is fruit. What is he saying? Ek voel die Heere wil julle twee bedien. Vir jou bedien en vir jou. Um. Kan ek sê een ook kreeg? Wil jy by hom staan? Sê aan soop sy skouwer. Kan jy vir my speel? Kan jy dat die piano net so bykie licht vir my as ek lief? Wil jy bear with me if I just minister to one or two people? You English, Afrikaans? English. What's your name? Jared, and your name is? Gina. Jared, I just want to, I feel the Lord wants to. Just close your eyes, man, and just...